0: Okay. Great. Welcome back to another episode of Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, With me today is a guest that I'm really excited about. Um, His official name and title is Sir Ronald Cohen, but he has encouraged me to call him Ronnie. uh, So I'm going to do so. And uh, he's the author of a a great uh, new book called Impact that we're going to talk about over the next half hour or so. Um, So Ronnie, thank
1: you so much for joining us. Great pleasure, Brandon. Good to be with you.
0: Your background is really fascinating, so I just wanted to start with that to give the audience some context here. So tell us about where you were born, where you grew up, and kind of what your history is like.
1: So I was born in Cairo, in Egypt, uh, and uh, at the age of 11, my family was kicked out after the Suez Crisis, and we arrived in the UK as refugees, and I couldn't speak uh, English, but uh, I quickly learned, and. I found um, an inspired uh, history teacher who prepared me for the Oxford uh, entrance exams, uh, and, um, and you know, from, from there my career um, you know, began to take off.
0: Yeah, so w- w- where did it go from there? What did, what did you think you were going to do when you were studying at Oxford, and how close did that end up becoming to what you actually did?
1: So I studied a subject called PPE, philosophy, politics, and economics, and I said to my dad in my graduating year, what am I going to do? And he (laughs) said to me, why don't you go to Harvard Business School? And I was surprised, it was the first time he'd ever mentioned it to me, and I said, wow, that sounds like a good idea. So I applied, and I was in time to apply for a a, a scholarship which paid for my first year, and so I went to uh, Harvard, and while I was at Harvard, I discovered venture capital. And that set me off uh, on the path to my career in creating Apex Partners, uh, uh, first as a venture capital house and then venture capital and private equity and uh, today manages um, over $60 billion in assets.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I should note that Ronnie's partner, Alan Patrickoff, is also the founder of Greycroft, which is a venture capital firm that we collaborate and invest with quite a bit. So there's definitely some overlap. Okay, Jack, take uh, script two, take one. So you got into venture capital in the early days before a lot of people knew what it was about. Probably half the listeners of this podcast like to become a VC and their question is always, Okay, sounds like an amazing job to have, but like, how do I actually get one? What was your path to making it happen?
1: Uh, it was a new field, and I could see the potential in it. At the same time, you had to create the field in order to become a leader of it. Do you see what I what I mean? But that my personality, and that's what we did.
0: So, over the course of your career, the lessons that you learned are now embodied in your new book, *Impact*, and as you mentioned, the subtitle, which is reshaping capitalism to drive real change. So, tell me, why did you write this book, and you know, what do you hope to get across to your readers?
1: I could see the world was changing, and it seemed that to me that uh, most people. Um, would would understand and and benefit and help to bring um, acceleration to this change. The world was shifting from the world of risk-return investing, which you and I have built our careers in, to the world of risk-return and impact investing. Um, We see values have changed across the world. Young people started it, but now many people young and old don't want to buy the products of companies that are creating social or environmental harm. Investors have noticed it, we have more than 40 trillion dollars of ESG environmental, social and governance investing and a trillion dollars of impact investing. The first ESG has the intention, the second impact investing has the intention to create impact but also the measurement of the impact. And so we have today half of professionally managed assets seeking to achieve impact as well as profit. And I saw this actually as something that was changing our whole economic system. And that's why I wrote the book. I think doing good and doing well, which have been kept separate in in the careers of people of my generation, you make your money and then you give it away has given way now to picking careers where you create a business model that helps to bring a solution to a major issue and you make a ton of money as a result of it, profit and purpose at the same time.
0: So, so the Milton Friedman's of the world, and, and I'm a, a Chicago graduate, so I have a little bit of a bias towards that, that perspective, would say the purpose of a corporation is to maximize value for shareholders, and that's it. And if you want a corporation to work, you've got to stick with that.
1: Um, what's your answer to that? My answer to that is we've seen the result of that. The result is climate change created mainly by companies uh, which we're unable to reverse with our current system and our new system is you make profit and you create positive impact at the same time. And that's going to be the way to deliver the best returns as well. And there does seem to be like I think the business roundtable
0: maybe two or three years ago now you know did issue kind of a proclamation saying, We think that the purpose of a corporation is more than just to maximize value for shareholders. Um, So obviously between what the Business Roundtable did, your book and your work, there's this trend. What do you think is
1: really driving it? It's being driven by the change of values. Uh, Millennials and Gen Z account now for 60% of the US workforce. They have a different outlook on the world. It isn't just a world of make as much money as you can and um, don't give a damn about the consequences, right? It's a generation that empathizes uh, very widely, that's globally connected, and that is seriously concerned about the threat to the existence of the planet and the cohesion of of our society. That's driving it. But the second thing that's driving it, Bradley, and it's very relevant to us uh, venture capitalists and entrepreneurs, is technology now has taken leaps through artificial intelligence, machine learning, and so on, to deliver impact globally in ways we could never contemplate previously. And the third force driving it is that this technology and big data together enable us to measure the impacts of companies, translate them into dollar terms, and compare the impacts that companies create with the impacts that other companies create and with their profits. So a traditional economist, again, would say consumers want to get the
0: best thing they can at the lowest possible price, and that's what drives their decision making. So you already mentioned that 60% of the workforce is now millennial or Gen Z. Do you think their underlying concept of value is different? And do you think they're really willing to pay more money if they believe that the product they're buying is more ethical in some way?
1: I think some are prepared to do that, but I think the consequence at the end of the day is going to be that the products that deliver impact actually cost less. Why do I say that? When you begin to think in terms of impact business models, your aim is to help as many people across the planet as you can. So I'll give you a quick example from my experience. There's a company in Israel called OrCam, which I mention in the book. The entrepreneurs had a purpose. They wanted to help the blind. They created a product, which is a pair of spectacles, and when you put them on, they have a little memory stick-like device hanging off the side, and they whisper into your ears the page of the book you're reading. They recognize up to 300 people who've been inputted before. Transforms the lives of 35 million blind people, potentially, and another 250 million visually impaired people. But if you think in terms of how you can improve the lives of the maximum number of people using this technology, you get a different answer to the question, what should my strategy be? And the answer is, my strategy should be not only to help the blind, but to help the 800 million illiterate adults in the world today who would benefit from these spectacles. All of a sudden, you have a $1.1 billion market instead of a 300 million market. You can bring your price level down. You can grow faster. And so, I believe that while consumers today are prepared to pay a reasonable premium for a product that doesn't do harm, down the line, the new business models are going to have very wide reach and big economies of scale and will be very competitive with their polluting um, uh, competitors' uh, products.
0: So, Ronnie, let me make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Effectively, you're saying there's this like confluence of emerging markets and opportunities, and whether that's by providing better services for the blind or for people in developing countries, and you know by providing products and services for them, there are new opportunities and new markets to sell into. And the more mature markets of wealthier people in the Western world, you know, still a market, but not really growing that much. So the opportunity now lines up with its societal values.
1: Yeah, I mean, think in terms of pharmaceutical biotech research. You come through with a cure for cancer that costs $300,000 a year. How many people can take advantage of that? Very few. And now you compare business model of another pharmaceutical company or a device company that has a cure for cancer that costs ten dollars or $20,000 a year. All of a sudden, you're delivering much wider impact. That's the new way of approaching business models.
0: A lot of young entrepreneurs listen to this podcast, and as they're thinking, all right, you know, I got this idea for a startup, and I bet most of the time I see is a VC, you see as a VC. They're identifying opportunities in the market, filling needs in the market that aren't currently met. And so probably almost inherently fits with your philosophy, but they're saying to themselves, I really want to follow the principles of impact. I want to build my company in an ethical way that I can be proud of. What should I be thinking about?
1: So, in a few years ago, you had the Warby Parkers and Tom Shoes that developed these models. Then you had Tesla, which came along and said, I want to shift consumers away from the combustion engine and its pollution to electric vehicles. And they entered a really tough, hundred year old industry, and they managed to shift the whole of the industry to electric uh, or hybrid vehicles. And I think this disruption using technology, but through impact thinking, is gonna disrupt the business models of almost every company, right? We're beginning to see big groups like Unilever saying now they're gonna put the impacts of their products alongside their barcode. Okay, now that's a major change. We're beginning to see apps that enable you to point your phone at the barcode and find out what the impact of associated British foods that brings you twining tea on, on the, onto the supermarket shelf is, and you discover it makes one point six billion dollars of profit a year and one point eight billion dollars of environmental damage. So you shift to a Unilever product. And where does government fit into
0: all of this? So you know, it, it, you seem to take the view that. The private sector has to take on more responsibility for for solving some of the societal problems either that they create or that we face um how should government think about companies differently and do you think that the view that the kind of u.s political left has right now of business is helpful because it forces people to focus on impact or or is it harmful
1: because it's just so toxic so i think government today Uh, is at the same crossroad, or a similar crossroad, we were at after the crash of 29. At the time of the crash of 29, Bradley, as you probably know, every company picked its own accounting principles and there were no auditors to verify the numbers. Companies could put into hidden reserves part of their profits without telling their shareholders. So, in one word, you didn't have transparency on profit. And Roosevelt, in '33, introduced gap accounting and auditors. We need governments now to do the same and I'm hopeful the Biden administration will seize the challenge. Governments, if they mandate now the publication of impact-weighted accounts by every company starting three years from now, will bring transparency to the $40 trillion of ESG Um, uh, investment today and will help turn it into intelligent investing on the basis of reliable data to achieve improvement in lives and the environment. Now, it turns out governments need this, Bradley, because they're coming out of the COVID crisis with huge debt, increased unemployment, increased social issues. They actually need to bring the private sector, investment and businesses, alongside them to bring solutions. So we are at a historic juncture, could be the US leads, could be the EU leads, could be another government, the Netherlands, the UK, a Scandinavian government, New Zealand leads, but impact transparency is going to be the equivalent of the microchip in the tech revolution. It's going to be the microchip of the impact revolution.
0: So how do you use metrics and data? that are both consistent and force companies to be truly transparent. Because, you know, anyone can come up with a way that makes them look good or sound good, but that doesn't mean they're actually doing good.
1: Exactly, so the greenwashing that we're seeing today um, can only stop if we have comparable data Now, what we've shown at Harvard Business School at the Impact Weighted Accounts Initiative, which I'm honored to chair, is that you can publish today, on the basis of data made public by companies, the environmental impacts and the employment impacts and some of the product impacts of companies in dollar terms. So you go to the IWA site at HBS, You'll see 3,000 companies' environmental impact from their operations. Bradley, you'll discover that of those 3,450, create more environmental damage in a year from their operations than they make in profit. A thousand create environmental damage of 25% or more of their profit. And what's really interesting about it, from a, an investor point of view is you can already see a correlation between the companies that pollute more and lower stock market valuations. And when we think of climate change and you see that these 3,000 companies create $4 trillion worth of damage in a year, you begin to understand the only way to make real progress in, in, in reducing climate damage is through impact transparency. So um, I teach at
0: Columbia Business School, and I think my experience is is somewhat similar to your point where I do see this type of mentality and awareness um, in my students, which is great because it will shape how they then help run the business world going forward. What I don't have enough data on yet because I just haven't been teaching long enough yet is... Whether those values are then really driving the actual jobs that they're taking and their career choices they're making, or if it's hey, or or if they're thinking more like yes, I would like to achieve A, B, and C from a moral standpoint, but practically I have to do D, D and F. Um, how
1: do you how do you get the two things to kind of come together? Well, what what I see happening now is an increasing number of people coming to me, among others, and saying, look, I want a career that helps me to deliver impact as well as making money. And they're thinking of which company they can work for, what type of a venture they can establish and so on. So we're seeing it come from every corner of of the globe. You're seeing new entrepreneurial business models in education, in health, in, um, in, in, in the security of, uh, of, of cities and, uh, and states which are using technology to achieve both a social good and an environmental good very often and, and profit so silicon valley hasn't yet connected with this thinking at scale it's, uh, it's been slower frankly than the private equity industry where you see some of the big leaders TPG, KKR, Blackstone, Bain Capital, my old firm, Apex Partners, launching specialist funds that measure the impacts of their their investments. The VC world, apart from double bottom line, which invested in Tesla and SolarCity uh, famously in Silicon Valley, uh, Bridges Ventures, which I co-founded nearly 20 years ago, LeapFrog, Uh, in Africa, Avishkar in India, those firms have been doing for decades uh, what everyone's going to be doing in in the future. And it needs to catch on, but one of the reasons I'm glad to be chatting with you as a VC is we need to make the the mainstream venture capital industry aware that this is where they're going to have to go. They're going to have to go because their investors are going to demand it. And they're also going to have to go there because the Teslas of this world, the new disruptors of existing business models that achieve higher growth and higher profitability, are going to do so through the delivery of profit and impact together.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny, in the, in the meeting I had right before this podcast, uh, I was reviewing the series A deck of a company that we're incubating, and in there we made a very proactive pro-social argument in saying, we believe that we are able to create this type of societal benefit in ways A, B, and C, in contrast to other other companies in this space. Um, we'll see how, how I do when I go raise the A uh, for this company. But yeah, I, I, at least it, it feels like it's starting to become part of the vernacular. Yeah.
1: Look, I mean, within private equity today, uh, if you speak to the firms that have been raising these uh, funds I've just talked about, their investors are asking them what is your ESG rating? What What are your companies achieving in terms of impact? The pressure is real. Now, when technology came, I well remember, in the 70s and 80s, some people thinking, this is just gonna revolutionize the computer industry. The microchip isn't gonna change much, just the computer industry. Now, look how far it went. Yeah, just, just the computer industry. I mean, here's some people saying, Well, I think this impact thinking is gonna be fine for a small philanthropic-like segment of the market. And those who ignore it are gonna be overtaken by new competitors and existing ones of transition.
0: So in my experience, institutional investors are very driven by the kind of cultural norms in their industry. They, they, They like to check all of the right boxes and show that they're kind of hitting all the best practices. Um, is there a way for policymakers and government to kind of change the the, the boxes being checked so that their performance is, isn't just graded on on the return, but also on the the ESG ratings of the companies they invest in? And could you even arguably, maybe this is this too out there of a concept, but could you change the way that you, you do taxation so that those who are unwilling to
1: Focus on this, pay higher rates than those who aren't. Well, you've hit the nail absolutely on the head, Bradley. We're talking of a carbon tax now. You know, Dave Swenson of Yale, two years ago, wrote to all his portfolio managers saying, I want to know your environmental footprint and how you would be affected by a carbon tax. Right now, the carbon tax is coming. Now, if you get the impact transparency I'm talking about, you'll end up with a fairer tax system where those causing harm get taxed for the harm they cause. It start with environmental, but it may end up with diversity, you know? Yeah, how, how do
0: you, I mean, given the challenges, at least in the US, of getting anything done politically, uh, and I think as we're seeing with, like the way that the Afghan uh, withdrawal is being covered, everything becomes a, a, a massive crisis immediately, when I'm not sure this really is, um, How do you get something like a carbon tax passed?
1: I think two things are going to help us. The first is the drive of investors to invest in the companies that are delivering both profit and impact. The fact that this impact data is proving to be stock price sensitive, as we've shown at Harvard Business School, makes it inevitable that regulators not the Biden administration right at the top maybe, but at the level of the SEC, at the level of the Office of Management of the Budget, at the Office of the Labor Department, will change regulations to require this impact transparency. Why? Because if they don't, some investors are benefiting from data that other investors don't have access to. And as you were saying, some of the data they're basing their decisions on isn't verified and may be misleading. So it's become inevitable, in my view, already, and that, you know, that governments are going to have to step in and bring this transparency. So you hear the SEC head talking about transparency on the environmental. The EU has passed legislation about it. IOSCO, which brings together the group regulators, is looking at impact transparency. And the organization responsible for all financial accounting outside of the U.S. across the whole world, IFRSF, is looking at establishing a sustainability standards accounting board. Right. So we're on our way now to generally accepted impact principles and impact accounting. So
0: this is next one is is sort of a half-baked thought, So, so I may be way off here, but even though the cryptocurrency world is often kind of maligned in intellectual circles and policy circles, it seems to me to be arguably kind of a good precedent for what you're talking about, which is you have a group of people who said, we don't really trust our central banks. We don't really trust our governments. We don't really trust the big institutions, whether it's media or the church or military or whoever else. And we would rather band together in a like-minded way, in a sovereignless way, because we're all scattered all over the world and and, and kind of invest and bet on each other um, rather than continue to defer to some sort of central authority that we think is doing everything wrong. To me, there's some real beauty in that and, and some hope in the sense that people are saying, I've had enough of the status quo and I will try to act in some way to change it. Um, Is that comparison apt or
1: or am I off base? No, I think uh, blockchain is certainly gonna be part of of the future. It provides, uh, you know, it reduces the need for verification. You have instant proof. Uh, of, of the data that's been uh, that's been inputted, and so on and so forth. The issue of cryptocurrency is a different issue, but I agree with your sentiment, and I think COVID has accelerated that sentiment. It's shaken our habits and beliefs. It's brought us to think in different ways. It's created a sense of solidarity, as you were saying, where people feel they have. You know they're all in the same boat, and they have a common interest in trying to find common solutions.
0: I know we're coming up on the thirty-minute mark here. So, so last question, although it's probably a long one, which is, um, in in embodying the principles of impact, how has it changed your day-to-day life in terms of how you live, how you travel, how you spend money, and maybe even more importantly, um, listeners who want to try to follow some of that, how should they think about it and act?
1: So, I mean. Every, everybody is a consumer, so we're changing our habits now, we're shifting away from companies that are creating harm to the products of companies that are doing a better job of delivering uh, both impact and, and profit. So the first way we can act is as a consumer. The second is as an employee, if we're within a company, to get a company to measure its impact, to define impact objectives, does a great favor to the company because as I've been saying, the Harvard data shows your company's stock market valuation is going to be affected by the impacts that you create good and you know good and, and bad. The third is as an investor. as an investor through your pension plan, indirectly, as an investor directly in the market, go to ESG, go to impact investment and leave out the companies that are, doubling down on old ways of polluting. And you've seen what's happened at ExxonMobil. These companies are now getting open rebellion at their shareholder meetings. And I gather there are 200 company resolutions already filed on, on social and climatic um, issues coming up at uh, future shareholder meetings. So that's the world we're operating in. But as an entrepreneur and as a venture capitalist, Begin to focus your efforts on companies that bring solutions in huge markets and have the ability to grow fast and deliver amazing profits as they deliver greater impact. That's a perfect way to wrap it up. So, Ronnie, Sir Ralph Cohen,
0: uh, it's been an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you
1: for joining us. Thank you very much, Bradley. Great pleasure to chat. Bye-bye.